Hello, everyone. Brandon Burns here, Chief, <laughs> Chief Executive Officer for Peaks Recovery Centers. Excited to bring you on to this exciting episode here at uh, Finding Peaks today. Uh, for um, I'm a little distracted right now because we have our friend outside who's suffering from a mental health issue. We're compassionate and filled with empathy here at Peaks, but we're just going to have to roll through that as a background noise today. Um, so uh, with that, bringing it a full back in a circle here, joined today uh, by our co-host, Kate, clinical director, all yes. things women's programming at Peaks Recovery Centers, LPC. Super talented. Thanks for being here. Excited I'm to have really you. I'm really excited to be here for this topic. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. And we have Bree Wolta with Lucid Living, the Relationship Clarity Coach, starter, founder, president, CEO, all the things, all the things. operations, <laughs> running it today. Thank you One so much. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you so much for coming down here today and joining us to talk about your work and what's going on. So. Thank you for being here. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. So uh, I've had the opportunity and the privilege to review some of your work online and your podcast episodes and so forth. And I think, you know, let's let's dive in and, and talk about your work in general. And I think just kind of a, as a basic framework for this kind of what inspired Lucid Living as a journey and how did we come together today? Yeah. Well, I think as a lot of therapists and coaches, we all kind of find ourselves in helping roles because of something that we have gone mm. through. So I went through a pretty dysfunctional and toxic relationship. Um, and it was through understanding that I was even in something like that, like wrestling with that for mm. many years and then finding the courage to leave that situation. Mm -hmm. And then what happened in the aftermath and the amount of confusion and turmoil and um, needing to learn boundaries and all of these things that you just get like thrown into the yeah. fire. Um, when I came through that experience and integrated that, I was like, I would like to help other people do this because yeah. there wasn't like a roadmap. You know, there was there was a therapist that I have who didn't she hadn't gone through it herself. So like, obviously, she is a support person and super helpful, but didn't have that firsthand yeah. like. I've been there type of understanding. Mm -hmm. um, same with friends and family. Like they were supportive in the ways that they could be supportive, but mm -hmm. there's so many nuances in healing from something of that caliber. Mm -hmm. And I had a pretty extreme experience, but dysfunction in general is really confusing. Yeah. Why we stay and mm -hmm. why we can't let them go and why we keep going back mm -hmm. and why we hang on to this place of hope, you know? Mm -hmm. So to be a coach and to be able to guide other people in something that I've walked through mm -hmm. is really powerful for them to, to lower their shame and their embarrassment. I was like, I start with every client saying, there's nothing you can say to me that I haven't done, thought, or said, you know? It's mm -hmm. like, there's so many commonalities in the experience. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So it's such an honor to be able to, to help and see them make changes in their, mm -hmm. their world. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Wonderful. You. Kate, have yeah. the experience of the therapist chair yes. and the coaching chair here today. So this is great to just have these, you know, um, converting perspectives uh, in that regard. And, uh, you know, with that, when, my, when I think about, you know, toxic relationships uh, as well, too, I think we all are uh, moved by our personal experiences in that regard as well, too. 
And um, so I think there's a commonality that brings this room together mm -hmm. in that sort of way. And so, you know, between the two of you, um, you know, let's, let's uh, talk to the viewers about uh, those uh, personal, not the deep dive into those personal experiences, um, but through those personal experiences, the inspiration and what we feel like we can give back, you know, in that regard. And maybe common features that we're seeing within mm -hmm. uh, the clients that we're seeing at any given time um, that are bringing people, you know, to these services. Mm -hmm. I can speak to that. So much like Bree, I found myself in a toxic relationship at a young age and it took me eight years to leave. Um, I'm now eight years out of it, so it seems really like a long time ago and like a very different person that I was at that time. Um, but there are just a lot of things that I think a lot of people don't realize about these relationships and why people stay. And a big part of it is much, like you mentioned before, Brandon, is it is kind of like an addiction um, in the sense that it, there's a cycle to it. And so a lot of women and some men, I, I don't want to exclude men out of this because yeah. it does happen to men as well, um, they'll find themselves in what we call love bombing. And so love bombing is the beginning stage of the relationship. It's all of the affirmations, the gifts, the, the sweet words that we've never heard before, and it's, it's intoxicating. So that is the initial phase where you latch on. And then what happens as the relationship progresses is you might start to see some things, some warning signs, some temper tantrums, some things that don't feel good. You get that gut feeling, right? And, and that's where you start to sort of question yourself and your sense of reality. Um, as it continues to go, then you are going to start to see the physical, verbal, or emotional abuse, whatever that looks like. Uh, and then there's kind of the calm afterwards where the person in the relationship is kind of like, what happened? Should I leave? Did I do something wrong? And then we go back up to the love bombing and the honeymoon. And so you end up finding yourself staying for those dopamine hits that you get from mm -hmm. this person that is just showering you with everything. Um, and so that, that's the cycle. And that is why it gets harder and harder to leave because every time you go through it, your self-esteem deep dives and you don't have the strength to leave. Yeah, the phenomenon of, of you know, how narcissistic, that's the narcissistic cycle and yeah. how they give you breadcrumbs, right? Mm -hmm. They start with the love bombing and then they slowly start to dis discard you and they give you so little that any little thing that they do give you is so important to you that it almost overshadows yeah. all of the shit that they've been doing. Mm -hmm. yeah. Um, and then you start the justifications of why it's okay and why they're trying right. and why it's not a red flag. Um, and it's all part of their cycle to get it, it, the control, to get the validation. And it's almost like they, they get off on being able to control your emotions and to push you away and pull you back whenever they want. Right. And your confidence, it like tanks because not only in that situation are you confused as hell and what is going on, mm -hmm. but they are intentionally gaslighting you to make you feel like mm -hmm. more confused and like it's all your fault. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So what, what is it like as a personal experience then? Okay, now you've had these experiences, you've gone through that sort of honeymoon phase mm -hmm. of a relationship and now it's forming those toxic, those toxic behaviors are coming out. Now you're hanging out with your friends or whatever and you're displaying this to your mm -hmm. friends and they're saying, mm -hmm. hey, something's wrong here and you gotta mm -hmm. go. Mm -hmm. But that doesn't feel like a tripwire, you know, in that regard. It's almost like the friends become, no, you guys are wrong. I'm just trying mm -hmm. to share a story here and it's just this, you know, moment. 
Mm -hmm. uh, uh, can you just, just describe to our viewers a little bit more about what it's like to be around people who have your best interests in mind, but a rejection mm -hmm. of that information all at the same time? Because you yeah. can't have the hindsight moment yet, right, of like, hey, yeah. my friends were right. Yeah, um, right. So you're sitting in that moment, and what is it like to be in that, um, you know, are, are you still trying in your head, maybe I shouldn't even have brought this up to my friends, you know, what mm -hmm. is that experience like? Mm -hmm. I know we're both like, I could try. I could say. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> I do, I remember this so well, and it's interesting talking about it, I'm like, wow, I remember some stuff about this. Um, I actually had two friends tell me they were going to have an intervention to uh, have me not marry this person. And then they were afraid they'd lose my friendship. And so they didn't. But there were certainly conversations before that. Like, are you sure? This seems unhealthy. We're worried about you. Um, and what happened for me is I just stopped sharing. Mm -hmm. And then it became a secret mm. that made me sicker and sicker. Because I knew that they would tell me to leave. And I knew at that time I didn't have the strength to. Mm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's very isolating. Yeah. Because you're feeling already so confused about what's happening. You want this person to be the person they were in the beginning, this, this, this love bomb version that was like, you know, promising marriage or whatever. Mm -hmm. And it's, if you haven't accepted reality yet, you're confused about it, you're ashamed about it. And as you share with your friends and you're mm -hmm. hearing them say, he's not a good person, you need to leave, whatever, you start defending. Mm -hmm. So you actually switch over into the other role mm -hmm. of like, I'm not only not going to hear what you're saying, but I'm going to defend why mm -hmm. he's doing the best he can or whatever. Mm -hmm. And that, you know, that pushes friendships apart, that puts you more in isolation, mm -hmm. you feel more shame about it, and it's, you end up feeling like you are alone and crazy. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So, so you, you're going through these processes, right? And you, we get sicker and sicker as the language is informed, right? Within it, you know, as, as personal experiences, what is, what becomes the breaking point? What becomes like the aha moment of like, mm -hmm. I think all my friends were right and mm -hmm. I feel this now. And like, what is that mm -hmm. experience like? Um, or how do you find that or pro as a process of discovery? Is it commonplace for a lot of women or is it just more personalized, you know, in that regard? Just curious about that from the yeah so not only from a personal standpoint but i worked um in a domestic violence shelter for three years so you know i really learned a lot about this pattern and unfortunately it takes women about seven times before they actually leave um they go back a lot because there's another common phrase in this dynamic hoovering where they suck you back in mm. um i'll change i'll do the therapy i'll you know do everything you said, I'll go back on medication. And so you're like, okay, well, I'll give it another shot. And that's what pulls people back in. Um, and so I don't, and maybe Brie can speak to this too, but I don't think there's a set formula. I think there's an element of either I'm gonna die in this dynamic from him or you know, harm that I might cause to myself. Um, or I have enough things, motivators, kind of like with addiction, external reasons of why I need to finally take care of myself. Yeah, I struggled with, with that for a long time because it was clear in my body that something wasn't right. Like, mm -hmm. I'm like, I don't think you're supposed to be this unhappy in a relationship. Yeah. <laughs> and I had always had the understanding that relationships were hard. That mm -hmm. was a, a false belief that I adopted when I was younger. Mm -hmm. And so part of me felt like it was normal, but as it started to pro progress, um, 
it was little things that people said that were like planting seeds. So a piece of advice for people if they have friends in this, this mm -hmm. situation is like just plant little seeds. Don't come at them with like, he is ruining your life. What are you doing? Because that will make them retract and then defend. Mm -hmm. So I had a th my therapist at the time, um, I was making all the excuses, all the justifications for him. And she just asked me, she's like, what are the things that you like about him right now? Hmm. And I, I was listing things I liked before, right? <laughs> I liked all the, the love bombing yeah. things. Yeah, yeah. The love bombing And things. she's like, no, right now. And I couldn't give her an answer. Mm -hmm. And so that was a massive aha moment for me where I was like, why am I with somebody where I can't list even one thing that right. I like right now? Mm -hmm. And then when I was in the phase of like, I think I need to do it, I was, I was teetering and more on the edge of like knowing I needed to, but scared shitless of doing mm -hmm. that. Mm -hmm. A friend of mine was like, either you go through this moment of pain and like discomfort or you live the rest of your life in pain and discomfort. Mm -hmm. And that was like a huge aha for me where I was like, I am in a lot of pain mm -hmm. and I am becoming somebody that I don't even recognize anymore. Mm -hmm. And I was like this, I don't, I can't, like I literally cannot sustain in this, this environment. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I was just going to add that, um, you know, it's cool to have this come full circle in the healing work that I've done. And, you know, we talk about recovery, like I, you know, you probably feel like you're in recovery from an abusive relationship, but I've gained a lot of insight personally, and I've really been able to bring that with clients. And what I see with our clients is um, time and space away from it. And that's what, you know, treatment gives them a lot of times. It is, is just perspective. Like I need to get some perspective and some outside opinions on this. Mm -hmm. Also connection finding like safety and connection with you know other staff members other peers and stuff like that and like wow like i don't need to like live in this isolative state mm -hmm. by myself there's people that love me absolutely mm -hmm. co-host getting a little bit ahead of host here but we're gonna, get, <laughs> we're gonna, we're gonna jump into i'm that. sorry i just got yeah. really excited she just like that was that was a wrap folks she just tied it all up in her button about how to get well we're in the on the same wavelength yeah Brandon. i love it though love your energy uh we're gonna come right back to that um you know one one feature of that you know came up at least in um you know podcasts and uh in your literature that have come across Bree mm -hmm. is the uh, what makes it difficult to get out is this uh language of gaslighting mm -hmm. uh in that regard and i thought you brought a brilliant metaphor forward which i had never heard where the term gaslighting actually came from it was an old movie mm -hmm. of some sort i didn't seek out the name of the movie in that regard yeah. but i thought it was a brilliant metaphor and i was hopeful that you could introduce that to our audience as well too Mm -hmm. And then we could have, you know, a common discussion thereafter about mm -hmm. that as a feature of this, making it kind right. of difficult to get out of so that the viewers can understand or maybe even experience like, oh, that's what that is, because I've experienced that too, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. Yeah, I think it was a 1940s movie. It might have been earlier than that. But essentially, the, the main male character was dimming the gas lights in the house, the, the actual lighting in the room. Mm. And he did it little by little. And as the woman was like, I think it's getting darker in here. He's like, no, it's not. Just so matter of factly, mm -hmm. completely died, de denied her reality and kept turning it down until it was almost, almost pitch black. And when she was like, no, it's definitely getting darker in here. And he's like, something's wrong with you. Mm -hmm. You must have something going on in your head that's making you like assume that it's dark in here. Mm -hmm. And it's such a, 
I think that's the term originated from the movie because okay. gaslighting is where they deny your reality. Mm -hmm. They spin you around, they throw you into all of these word salads mm -hmm. so mm -hmm. that you get so confused on what you're even thinking, feeling, needing mm -hmm. that you, you like give up essentially. You're like, okay, I don't need that anymore. And not only that, but all of that is wrong. Right, mm -hmm. right. Mm -hmm. And that is, it's like a, it's like a, a sort of silent enemy, right? You Oof. come in to bring a, your emotions, your ideas, thoughts into the situation and for it to be spun around into you as the experiencer, right? Thinking, oh, maybe I don't actually don't feel any of those sort of things and to lose all of that ground that you probably ruminated about to even bring into the room in the first oh, place. Right. It, um, and it probably, the impact of it as well too. I mean, I can imagine not experiencing it you know, I think in the way that you guys are sharing with the audience mm. here as pretty shameful and mm. defeating right. as an experience. Um, mm -hmm. So, you know, out of that, then, uh, what was it like to kind of go through that so that, you know, maybe we can engage the audience just a little bit further about um, insights into what that experience is like and what it feels like to go through that. Mm -hmm. I know from my experience, um, you just really start to question yourself and your decision making and your perception of reality because perfect example with that movie um it's slight little um things that they might lie about or shift or that conversation didn't happen or it wasn't said this way to the point where you do start to feel a little crazy mm -hmm. um and so then when they call you crazy you know you're kind of like i mean i guess I have been remembering things wrong or seeing things wrong like mm -hmm. and you start to lose that self-esteem question you know other relationships and how you're showing up in those and so it's it's just a really big mind game until you're at a point where you don't really even know what's true anymore mm -hmm. that was my experience yeah that feeling of hopelessness is real like it it used to take me weeks to, to, to lead up to understand what I was feeling, to be able to think about bringing it to the table to try to have a conversation about mm -hmm. it, because I knew that it was gonna turn into a fight immediately, right. and that I was gonna likely leave the conversation like thinking it was my fault anyway, mm -hmm. so what's the mm -hmm. point of mm -hmm. bringing it up? Mm -hmm. And I remember towards the end when it got really bad, like I used to take notes mm. after fights to remind myself of what actually was said, because to your point, yeah. it's little things that you could almost argue with yourself, like, well, maybe they didn't say that, or maybe we did come to a resolution around that and I just forgot. Or, or I, even like, why would they lie about that? Yeah. 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 And the, the sickest part of it is it's such, it's such an insidious form of abuse mm -hmm. because they know what they're doing and they're doing it on purpose to deflect having to take accountability or anything, right? And then also to just know that they're in control of you and your mm -hmm. mind. And it's, it is so hard to come out of that type of experience mm -hmm. and to even understand that you are in an experience like that because yeah. it's so, it, it's like you're in a fog. You cannot see, mm -hmm. you don't know what, what is real anymore. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So it, it it's not just uh, maybe an experience, but a, a commonality. Because I think about it too as well, like do, at least in this particular situation, do the men in your lives know consciously that they're 
you know, committing you to this suffering or mm -hmm. is it sort of an unconscious thing because, you know, when we think about, you know, mental health and substance use disorders, we do the deep dive into inner child work and all that yeah. stuff. And then mm -hmm. we, turns out on the other side, men and women are kind of suffering from these, you know, pre-existing mm -hmm. uh, situations that they went through that form these maladaptive behaviors over time. And so I think about it sometimes as like, you know, we have one individual suffering within the toxic relationship and another is suffering from that history and projecting it. Um, so it, in that way, it could feel unconscious, but through the experiences, it's felt like they're consciously doing it. And then maybe in the evidence as well, too, of yeah. what you guys have learned through, you know, your schooling and your research and all of this mm -hmm. as well, too, that these are actually, this, there's a real intentionality behind it. Yeah. It's interesting because there's so much more research being done on this topic now and literature that's coming out. And there is this um, pattern of empaths, which you're probably an empath too, me too, and narcissists, mm -hmm. um, and this dynamic of narcissists being able to kind of sniff out an empath um, and finding those individuals who are just going to be really forgiving, compassionate, you know, see the, the good in people and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. Narcissism, you know, really stems from a lot of insecurity um, and needing constant ego boosts, right? And so what better way than to have somebody that you can completely control, right. um, somebody that continues to come back to you even in your worst moments and mm -hmm. worst times. And so, you know, I, intentionality, I think it can go lots of different ways, Brandon. Uh, but I think mostly, yes, there is intention. I don't know if they are always have awareness mm -hmm. that it is that intentional for them. Mm -hmm. What yeah, do you think? I think it's on a spectrum. Yeah. Right? Like we, I think we both had experiences with narcissists. Yeah. And, and it can be part of their behavior is a maladaptive, maladaptive behavior in order to, you know, deflect having to take accountability, deflect having any sort of, um, you know, light shown on that they're not a good person or their their shortcomings. Mm -hmm. So I think they learn through their life mm -hmm. how to manipulate people so that they never have to look at that because it's so painful. So there's an there's an element of you know understanding they need to sort of like manipulate people, and then on the very other end of that scale, there mm -hmm. are like the malignant narcissists mm -hmm. who actually part of their narcissism is to inflict pain on purpose. Mm -hmm. And so depending on sort of the type of narcissist mm -hmm. you get, if it's a narcissist, yeah. right? Yeah. I also think people who are not narcissists can gaslight. Okay. Um, I think it's less intentionally to hurt people and more okay. of just like the, they, they can't take the accountability. So they push, mm -hmm. push, push, and mm -hmm. they just learn how to adapt. Mm -hmm. But with the malignant narcissist like that, they do, they, mm -hmm. they, they get off on not just controlling you, but causing you pain, physical mm -hmm. or uh, psychological, physical, emotional, all of it. Mm -hmm. Well, I appreciate you drawing out the narcissist there uh, as kind of a definition and it mm -hmm. has a spectrum in how it operates because I think <clears throat> at least sometimes here at you know, good old Peaks Recovery Center, sometimes like somebody's a narcissist and it's <laughs> not actually the case because yeah. it's a very particular yeah. type of right. uh, you know, person. And mm -hmm. uh, I think, I think it, I think it'd be right to call it a mental health disorder, right? Mm -hmm. uh, in that regard, it's not normal behaviors in the sense of right. how to nurture relationships and foster them. 
Uh, so, uh, so yeah, I appreciate you bringing that out because sometimes that word gets lobbed around and I think right. a concise definition and a spectrum of it is important. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. NPD, like narcissistic personality disorder is a disorder is, yeah. that, you know, maybe I think it's 7% of the population is actually diagnosed, oh, wow. but people can have narcissistic tendencies. Yeah. So there's, there's a wide, there's yeah. a wide, wide scale. spectrum. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Really? Mm -hmm. One in 10 almost mm -hmm. as a disorder. That's. Mm -hmm. I did not think it was that high, mm -hmm. but that's interesting, uh, certainly. So, you know, with gaslighting uh, as a feature of this, it, I mean, it could be gaslighting, it could be a variety of different, you know, little T traumas that take place, but it mm -hmm. feels like this becomes a very traumatic experience. If mm -hmm. we're not feeling it uh, within the moment as a traumatic experience, it feels like in a hindsight, you know, mm -hmm. kind of rear view mirror moment of it, it's pretty traumatizing. Yeah. And out of that, um, so we're not only balancing like the awareness around the condition and what we're suffering from as well too, but now we have to work through a process on the other side. And what is that like? You know, whether it's um, you know just talk therapy to ground ourselves, mm -hmm. or you know actually identifying real trauma moments within it. You know, Bree, on some of your past episodes, you talked about those beginning EMDR sessions and that sort mm -hmm. of thing to you know create that awareness. And mm -hmm. so just hopeful to talk to the viewers a little bit more about. Um, you know, trauma, whether it's big T, little T, and what that's mm -hmm. like to kind of start the healing process on the other side as personal experiences. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I'll start. Yeah. <laughs> um, gosh, there's so much, you know, work to, to work through with when you're talking about these abusive relationships. Um, I can speak for me and also kind of some of the interventions that we use at the women's program, but a lot of it starts with first, you have to let go of your shame. You know, there's so much shame involved with this. Why did I stay? I can't believe I let myself be treated like that. Um, you know, and getting out of that space first and, and really recognizing like a lot of women fall into this and men. Um, this is a pattern that happens to a lot of people and I don't need to live in shame. And then you can start to rebuild yourself and find self-love again and self-compassion and then going into that there's trauma interventions like emdr and somatic experiencing brain spotting you know to get to some of the things that still are activating you know mm -hmm. we have to target those things like flashbacks nightmares all of those things that still happen as you're walking through it and so talk therapy processing but also these other trauma interventions i think are a really important component mm -hmm. yeah the it's definitely traumatic i mean there are moments in the healing process that need to be unwound. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, I, I talk about my experience of when I left, it was like this bitch slap from the universe. It was the aftermath of that decision was so horrific in so many ways, his behavior and what he did and all, all of it was so eye-opening mm -hmm. that not only did I get confirmation that I made the right decision, but I also got confirmation of how bad things were. Right. And that's coming back into the reality of what you were in and what it was will not only help you heal moving forward, but it helps you from stop going back. Yes. Um, thankfully, I never had the like desire after the, the second or the final attempt to, to go back because of his behavior. Um, but what that did for me is it really illuminated all of the things that I was doing that was contributing to the dynamic. Mm -hmm. So my codependency, my lack of boundaries, my like lack of self-esteem and confidence, like all of those things became so clear to me, like, okay, I need to like work on that mm -hmm. to be able to heal from this and not have this happen again. 
because yeah. not only are they attracted to empaths, but like not all empaths are unboundaried. Mm -hmm. right. So you have to learn how to be boundaried and how to know who you are and exude that because that will in essence be less appealing to them because mm -hmm. they can't they can't puppet you mm -hmm. if you have boundaries. Mm -hmm. Totally. <laughs> right. Yeah. So learning that is a big, mm -hmm. big part of the the healing process. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Because there's that relapse potential, right? And this, yeah. you know, yeah. kind of is the carrying metaphor of, you know, addiction into toxic relationships. And then mm -hmm. without the boundaries, right? I mean, boundaries encourage um, emotional safety for the individual and so forth. And without that toolkit, right? You know, yeah. you get the text or whatever the case might be, right? Yeah. Um, so I, I think through that, you know, I always. Uh, you know, family systems at Peaks will come up and they'll say, hey, Brandon, I'm setting a boundary. And I'm like, well, tell me what the boundary is. And they tell me, and I'm like, that's not a boundary. Like, that's a wall. That's like a rule you just made up to, like, stop something from happening, right? Yeah. Let's think about this a little bit more. But uh, because it came up as a word, you know, within this framework, um, you know, I would just love for you two to share your experiences about boundaries and, and what those actually are and then the power that comes with them on the other side. So because uh, I think it's one of those things that viewers, um, you know, you, you really do have to build some muscle around it to get it right. Mm -hmm. um, because it is a difficult, I think, it's an easy concept up front. And then mm -hmm. like when you put it into play, it becomes this really challenging aspect. Mm -hmm. um, so uh, yeah. share with us that, please. Mm -hmm. It's definitely a work in progress and something, you know, I think we are always working on getting better at. But I know for me, like, I just had to start practicing in my relationships, family, friends, um, dating, you know, like when something doesn't feel good, why is that? And, and noticing my body and stuff. Um, and then setting the expectation, hey, moving forward, like um, I'm not gonna be treated this way or when we, when we communicate, like I can't have yelling or raised tones or anything like that. Um, you set the boundary, if it gets crossed, then it only works if you stick to it, mm -hmm. right? So. Yeah that at that point, you know, that relationship is severed or, you know, you establish a new boundary, um, whatever that looks like. Next time we're gonna take a break before it gets to that point, you know, mm -hmm. and stuff like that. But it's really the follow through that has to be consistent in order for it to work. And it took me a lot of practice, but I'm definitely better at setting boundaries now. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Love it. I think boundaries can sometimes come off as like a pretty clinical word for sure term, right yeah we use it a lot yeah and really <laughs> and that can feel like i know in my experience in the beginning i was like i have to like build this fortress around me and like this armor like that's what i thought boundaries yeah, were yeah. which is also unhealthy you know um but boundaries really are just being able to speak your needs and your expectations in order to feel safe and supported mm -hmm. so like if you are in a situation where you're feeling unsafe or unseen or unsupported you can identify like oh, I need to have space for my voice in this conversation too. And then you can request that. Mm -hmm. And people can always say yes or no, right? And then it comes to like, well, what are you mm -hmm. gonna, what is the consequence for yourself if they say no? Right. Are you going to say that you can no longer have them in your life? Or are you gonna say you can no longer interact in this way? Like what is the, yeah. how, are, how will you take care of yourself despite them choosing to, to adhere to your boundary right, or not. Right. Mm -hmm. um, but just simplifying it down to like, what do you need? Do you need to say no? Mm -hmm. Do you need to change how often you see the person? Like it doesn't always have to be do this or else. And in mm -hmm. fact, the ultimatums is not a boundary. Right, yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. totally. Mm -hmm. And it feels like in early recovery journeys, that's what we get is yeah. like the ultimatum. You know, if you leave treatment, this happens versus yep. I think 
um, you know, what we've done well in our family systems practices, of course, is encourage families to boundaries are prior to the event. Yeah. Your, mm -hmm. your needs and your safety prior to the moment happening. So it's something to be discussed mm -hmm. before all the other things take place. And then we learn how to do that within treatment episodes. And, you know, real quick back before we kind of bridge this gap from, you know, the personal experiences into the professional side of things and, you mm -hmm. know, carrying that your both your projects forward in uh, this regard. Uh, you know, going back to the moment of that honeymoon period of a relationship, so difficult to know in that moment if you're with somebody who uh, is going to potentially, you know, have these behaviors on the other side. And, you know, I don't know if there's a silver bullet answer or anything like this. Mm -hmm. There's probably not thinking about it out loud. But, you know, what, what can, for the sake of this conversation, right, mm -hmm. what can women do out there maybe to kind of locate like sort of these... Uh, the problems as they arise and, and go, okay, I've heard about that before and that seems a little bit different than a normal relationship. Like, yeah. are there more identifying features mm -hmm. of this we can, even if we're working through a honeymoon, you know, moon yeah. phase of something, mm -hmm. um, just to, you know, at least get people a little bit aware of it. Maybe it, if anything, it'll support maybe the overcommitment until like month nine, until you can fully see what's going on, yeah. you know, mm -hmm. something like that. Yeah. I think number one, pay attention to the love bombing. There's a difference between, you know, the romance in the beginning of the relationship and the butterflies and the fun that comes with that, right? Like, we all enjoy that feeling. Um, between that and like saying things too early, like, I'm gonna marry you, you're the love of my life, you're my soulmate, we're gonna have babies together. If those things are starting, you know, to be said really early out the gate, like, I would always pay attention to that. Mm -hmm. um, and then, Paying attention, to, like a big thing for me was my body. Like, why do I have knots in my stomach all the time? Mm. You know, and really listening to that gut feeling, like it matters. Um, mm. And we teach that a lot to the women. Like, what was your body telling you in those moments, right? And then noticing, you know, the small things, like a big reaction to a small problem. Mm. Um, or noticing, it seems like their story changed and that's not what they said last time. Mm -hmm. Those little things I ignored along the way, but those are good indicators in the beginning, like something's up and there's a red flag happening mm -hmm. here. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I tell clients and people I talk to in general that like, if it feels too good to be true, it probably is. is. <laughs> right. You know, right. like you're taking extravagant trips within a couple of months. You're, you know, planning um, living together after a couple of months, like these big, these big things that are like, oh, but he just loves me so much. It's like, but that's not how normal relationships progress. Right. So, and, and a piece of that too is um, like part of the love bombing in that whole phase is to avoid reality mm -hmm. because it's when you start like trying to speak your needs or trying to set a boundary or start disagreeing with them, that's when their like real mm -hmm. personalities come out. Mm -hmm. So if you can, like start to speak your needs mm -hmm. along the way and just see how they react. Mm -hmm. When mm -hmm. you're like, no, you know, I know we had plans tonight, but I, I really just had an overwhelming day. I need to take some self-care. Like, okay. how do they react to that? Right. Mm -hmm. Do they respect it? Right. Or do they shame you somehow or make you feel guilty? And then you're mm -hmm. like, okay, I'll come anyway. Right. Yeah. Um, and part of, in the beginning of getting to know each other too, trauma bonding can happen with narcissists. Mm -hmm. It's another way that they can see that they can like kind of latch on and you know almost be your savior in some mm -hmm. way of like i'll hold all of your trauma mm -hmm. so if you find yourself over disclosing or they're over disclosing and it's like i shouldn't know about your deep 
childhood trauma on like the second date, you mm -hmm. know? Yeah, yeah. Like that's a little weird, but there are so many mm -hmm. like justifications that you can give for that yeah. type of behavior. Yeah. So part of building a healthy relationship is like slowly building trust. Yeah. And as you lean in a little, they lean in a little, and then the trust builds, and then you lean in a little more, mm -hmm. and they lean in a little more. Yeah. So like, are, do you have that dance going, or is it just like you're both full in all the way, you're moving in together yeah. and right. traveling to Bali? Like, yeah. 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 Oh, I love that. I think that's great insights into mm. just the way to approach a relationship in general. It, Mm -hmm. You know, it just has me thinking about like, you know, when my wife, you know, goes out of town or she went to a concert this last weekend and I was just like, you know, babe, you have great time. Love you. And then like in that moment, I'm yeah. like, I just get to uh, appreciate that she's off doing her thing. And then I'm sitting at the home with my dogs and like I never cook. And I'm like, this is a bachelor moment. Like I get to do quesadilla and what if she's yeah. having a good time and I get to like figure <laughs> out how to survive on like cheese and, you know, tortillas <laughs> yeah. like I used to 15 years ago. And yeah. Um, and there's a beauty in that balance is, is yeah. what I'm trying to share mm -hmm. and what comes up for me in that way of yeah. things that that time and space apart is appropriate mm -hmm. and it's nurturing mm -hmm. and um, might be a good indication if somebody's resistant to their own time and space in that regard. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. I, two more things that just came to mind for like red flags. Um, that, just that, like if you don't really have your space anymore mm -hmm. or if you don't wanna have your space anymore, you wanna spend all of your time with them, they want all of your time, like there's not a healthy t amount of like mm -hmm. interdependence. Mm -hmm. um, and then paying attention to if they have long-standing friendships. Yes, so good. Yeah, that's for, a really good one. Yeah. For with narcissists specifically, mm -hmm. they don't, they don't have the capacity to truly connect and have authentic mm -hmm. relationships that are long-standing yeah. because eventually they'll discard, gotcha. right? It's not just romantic. They, right. they are manipulating and controlling everybody in their yeah. life. Mm -hmm. So if you are with someone and they're like, they don't have a friend group mm. or their friend group is very surface mm -hmm. and you're like, you've known each other for a month or whatever, you know, mm -hmm. paying attention. Yeah. Like who are the people they have in their life Yeah, mm -hmm. is a big, Big, big red flag. Yeah, it's a that. really good one, Bree. Put a yeah. put a shindig. Yeah. Let's get all, all the people in the room. Bring all your friends. I'll bring all my friends. Yeah. And, you know, like we'll mingle. And if no friends show up, that, I don't that's, have any friends. Probably run. You know, <laughs> or if they're all just work friends. Like, right. Yeah. Like, yeah. You know how you know they've been at the job for six months or whatever. Like that doesn't count as a long-standing yeah. friend. Yeah. Absolutely. No great insights, yeah. and I appreciate mm -hmm. you bringing those uh, two other aspects forward. And mm -hmm. so transitioning now, uh, uh, I've shared. Uh, you knew this, shared this with you. We had Tim Schur um, doing uh, his, uh, bringing his success and uh, book on leadership and so forth into uh, this room just a few short weeks ago, The Secret Society of Success in particular. For the viewers out there, go back, watch it, especially professionals in our industry and so forth. Just a lot of great insights in how to nurture teams and environments, uh, especially within leadership roles. Um, but I was out on a walk, small little hike with him uh, prior to him coming on the episode. And I asked him, you know, like what inspired the book in the first place? Who are you writing to as an audience? Mm -hmm. And uh, he also talks about this on his leadership uh, podcast as well too. I believe it's episode five. I can't remember his guest, but both of them conveyed the point that like we write the books for ourselves first, mm -hmm. right? There was something that I was doing for Tim. It was like, I was living in the spotlight mentality. And I thought as I learned how to be, you know, chief operating officer in time and learn those leadership skill sets, you know, I found that I wanted to support people so they could avoid, you know, that type of leadership behavior mm -hmm. uh, and that way of things. And it seems like, 
you know, through these personal experiences and journey, sitting in front of a therapist now nurturing, you know, <laughs> women who come through peaks, uh, you know, and certainly in the past in your private practice and now through your coaching model as well too, that out of these experiences, it felt like, um, you know, I don't want to overstretch here, but to say that kind of writing your own book in this regard and out of that truth, developing these, you know, business models and so forth that can be supportive of others that are suffering in the same way. And, um, you know, certainly correct me if I'm wrong, but your services um, uh, seem to start with the cord cutting ceremony mm. in, that, in that way. And I think that's a powerful aspect of lucid living and what you're bringing uh, mm. to women that you're coaching and would just love to, you know, start with that as a, as a platform, as a ceremonial event that takes place mm -hmm. and where would that was inspired from. And then we'll just, mm -hmm. you know, build on the mm -hmm. professionalism from there. Yeah. So before the coaching, before this direction with working with dysfunctional relationships and finding healing in that, I started doing just cord cutting ceremonies. Uh, I had taken a course in shamanism mm -hmm. during quarantine, actually, okay. because it was the first time that I wanted to explore spirituality. I was never a religious person. I didn't mm -hmm. grow up in church. I, I didn't really have a concept for a higher power. Mm -hmm. And a friend of mine was running this course on shamanism. Like that makes sense. Like nature, signs, animals, like all that feels more <laughs> natural to me. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So part of that course was learning this ceremony, learning mm -hmm. this cord cutting ceremony. And it's performed in a lot of different ways, but essentially it's being able to energetically detach from anything that's, that's an energy leak mm -hmm. or that's sucking your energy. So a lot of uh, people who do cord cuttings will do it between you and another person. Mm -hmm which is totally valid. We have energy exchange with everybody we come in contact mm -hmm. with. What resonated for me was to be able to detach from a past version of yourself. So when I work with clients, we go through a 12 week container and we get really clear on what, what is that version of you that's in these relationships? Mm -hmm. What are the patterns and the beliefs and the you know, maladaptive things that you learned? Mm -hmm. and, and getting a good view of her mm -hmm. and being able to then move towards your higher self and be able to let her go. Mm -hmm. And it's not from a place of, I hate you, you ruined my life. It's, it's from a place of love and honor mm -hmm. because we all learn different things on different parts of our journey. Right. So just because I wasn't given the tools to know what a healthy relationship was, and set the foundation for me to be more attractive to narcissists or <laughs> unhealthy people. Mm -hmm. Like that was not, that was not, um, there's nothing wrong with that inherently. Right. It's like integrating that experience and learning from it and then moving, continuing to move forward. Mm -hmm. But if we have this energy leak into that version of us and we're feeling shame and mm -hmm. embarrassment and heaviness from all of that, it's hard to, it's hard to keep going. Right. So being able mm -hmm. to energetically let that go mm -hmm. and just it's it's really a commitment ceremony to you and your healing of this is what I know. This is what I know I no longer need. Mm -hmm. And this is this is what I'm choosing to do. Yeah, mm -hmm. it's it's powerful. And I know it was brought up on some of the past podcast episodes that you were on and you're welcome to represent these podcasts on here because yeah. it, it was uh, it was rise from the ashes or from the ashes from the ashes. Yeah. Uh, it was an excellent podcast. I thought the narration of it was great. Uh, who's yeah. the host of it? Uh, Mark Azoulay. Mark Azoulay. Uh -huh. uh, great stuff. And I thought yeah. he did a wonderful job. But his sort of, it just reminds me in this moment, of, you know, just to bring basically his metaphor that he brought to you that we aren't severing things here, right? Mm -hmm. It's kind of a, you know, kind of pushing the suffering boat out to sea in yeah. that regard and, and having mm -hmm. a ceremonial 
sort of view of it in that regard, mm -hmm. a, a letting yeah. go feature rather than like we're going to be done thinking about that, right? Because these yep. experiences are stuck in time, right? Mm -hmm. So they mm -hmm. are very real things that, yep. you know, at least in our psyche, will carry through in some aspect for our lifetimes in that regard. And so mm -hmm. I think it's a more of a light, gentle push out to mm -hmm. sea, as he said, you know, in that regard mm -hmm. versus like burn the ship to the yeah. ground sort of experience. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I've had clients have experiences of one, one client in particular, she we always integrate on the back end of, of what the ceremony was like. And she's like, I saw this past version of myself almost holding back the darkness being like, go, go, go. Like, I got it. Like, you can mm -hmm. leave. Like, I'm okay. Mm -hmm. And you're okay. And she said that was the most profound permission that mm -hmm. she had ever wow. understood from herself. Mm -hmm. And uh, then that's really how cool. change happens, right? Yeah. It happens when we internally know and right. when we feel it and when yeah. we experience it. Um, so yeah, it's definitely a place of like, that girl went through some shit, G girl or guy, right? I right. do cord cuttings for all genders, but, um, it's, it's, it's like respecting yeah. that part of your story and mm -hmm. letting it still be in the story without having to be attached to you energetically right now. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Love it. I love it. How does it, you know, and you loving it too, how does that relate, <laughs> you know, like in your journey in that regard or, you know, um, you know, maybe you don't call it in your therapy sessions, cord cutting, that sort of thing. But is there something like that, that you think from a therapeutic value yeah. proposition that you walk, you know, clients through mm -hmm. as well too, that we can share with the audience? I mean, honestly, it's similar to what Bree's talking about. Um, we go at a lot of different angles. We, we have a grief week in our curriculum, you know, and sometimes they grieve the loss of the relationship of the person. But a lot of times they'll grieve kind of, I'm letting go of that part of me. Mm -hmm. um, I don't need to hold on to her anymore. I don't need to shame her anymore. Um, and so, you know, we'll do what's called empty chair work, mm -hmm. um, an evidence-based uh, intervention. There's literally an empty chair sitting across from you. A lot of people start with feeling like it's pretty weird and hokey, but if mm -hmm. they let themselves kind of sink into the experience, imagining, that version of themselves sitting across from them, letting them go, saying goodbye, mm -hmm. thanking them for things that they've learned from them. Mm -hmm. um, and then we also kind of lean into inner child work. Um, a lot of these patterns start younger. It isn't like these confident, strong women are just walking about and <laughs> they just get swooped up by a narcissist, right? Like there were, there were pieces and parts yeah. that weren't working before. Low mm -hmm. self-esteem, I was bullied in school, um, my dad, you know, wasn't there for me. And so it creates the inner workings to be susceptible to those types of relationships. So we need to go back to that, that little part of you, that, mm -hmm. you know, inner child that's still hurting and needs nurturing. And we do some writing around that. We do some body work around that, creating safe space a safe space where you can feel safe and also like nurture that part of you and also sounds corny but you know sometimes we need to reparent ourselves is what we call it you know talking to ourselves in the way that we need it and and you you literally see people kind of like start to come up to their age mm. I yeah. once worked with a client who presented very young in session and then as we continue to do this work she, she started to look and act her age mm. Um, so yeah, really cool stuff. Yeah, it's powerful stuff. I, you know, as industry insiders, we get to, you know, often, you know, I'm, you know, I came into this industry as I've shared on this podcast many a times, like totally grand. I didn't even know what a PHP was an IOP, you know, talks relationships, <laughs> wouldn't even been thinking about it, you know, yeah. in my mind coming into this and first readings of some of this stuff, I think in the public sphere of things is like, it is hokey. It is kind of, 
yeah. you know, foo-foo stuff or whatever, like, why are they doing this? Why am I paying a thousand dollars a day to send my loved one to a treatment <laughs> center to do this? You yeah. know, at the end of the day, but you know, we get to live and experience yeah. the, the change in real time. And it's some of the, the great gifts we get um, mm -hmm. as an industry is to see that progress and that change. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, hold on to that viewers because we, it is very real and it is very mm -hmm. special. Uh, as a process and you know you two women get to bring people through these processes in this extraordinary way and it's just powerful and you know with that you know Brie I want to talk just a little bit about that curriculum you know within Lucid Living and okay so we're at cord cutting ceremony we have that acceptance to move forward in this path and to do the challenging thing to learn all the boundaries to learn the insights and to you know start backing out of that relationship uh, so, you know, after cord cutting, where do we go from there? Mm -hmm. Usually the cord cutting is towards the end of, the, so I work in the 12 week containers okay. and it's towards the end. So what oh, okay. we've been doing for the weeks leading up to is really getting clear on who they are. Mm. Cause also what happens in these relationships and because we're primed to be codependent, <laughs> right. we are very externally focused. Mm. And so we know what everyone else needs. We know how to anticipate mm -hmm. other people. We're very hypervigilant. We, we got everything else besides ourselves. And that often comes from what we learn when we're young. Mm -hmm. And so being able to help them see that those tendencies are from your childhood circumstances. Yeah. And the phenomenon of repetitive compulsion mm -hmm. I teach about because it's fascinating to me that we experience a wounding in our childhood and then we adopt behaviors to try to get our needs met because it's too painful for us to assume that it, it's our parents responsibility yeah. that something happened because mm -hmm. they're the superhero right mm -hmm. so yeah. we assume all fault and then we adapt all these behaviors to try to manipulate to get our needs met and then as we be, go, like, move into adulthood we are choosing people unconsciously that represent the original wounding to try to fix it now. Mm -hmm. And that's why we attract people who, like they say, you're dating your mom or you're dating your mm -hmm. dad. It's like, because that's the original wound that we're trying to work out with this person, but it's, yeah. it's not, it doesn't work. You just re-wound yourself. Yeah. <laughs> so bringing clarity to all of these pieces of the puzzle and how you can drop shame around all of this mm -hmm. experience because you were set up with this deck of cards mm -hmm. and so we aren't responsible for the traumas that happen but we're responsible for like clearing them so that mm -hmm. they're not driving our life from the back seat mm -hmm. so bringing all of that for forward and then helping them identify what are your values mm -hmm. what are your needs and your wants like that exercise that i do with clients is one of the most profound because they've never asked themselves those questions mm -hmm. i remember in my healing when i did that and I was like, I don't know, what do you like? <laughs> like, that was literally my answer. And I had to go moment to moment throughout my day of like, okay, I think I'm doing something I like. And I'd write it down. Like, that was how disconnected I was from myself. Mm. And I share that with clients because it, like, there's no shame in that. Yeah. If you weren't taught how to be self-reflective and if you weren't in a safe enough environment to explore yourself because mm. you had to be hypervigilant on everyone else, like that's not your fault. Yeah. So helping them start to get curious and date themselves because we can't have healthy relationships externally until we have a healthy one internally. Mm -hmm. right. So we get curious, we learn how to build trust with mm -hmm. ourselves. We learn how to communicate and hold boundaries with mm -hmm. ourselves. 
Because mm -hmm. part of building the trust is like not letting your little girl get hurt anymore. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So you have to prove to her that you're going to show up. Mm -hmm. And so doing all of those pieces and then coming to the cord cutting and allowing them to let her go, let all mm -hmm. of that maladaptive coping and survival go is such a, it's such like the crescendo of the, of the experience. Gotcha. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Terrible reading of the cord cutting in, in my view now that I'm thinking about it. You know, I just thought, you know, as I'm reading through the literature and listening to the podcast yeah. and, uh, you know, in that regard, like, you know, speaking of like, you know, just historical principles that form, like it's, I yeah. see the words cord cutting, I'm like, oh, that's the beginning because that's how I came into this ah. world. So that would be the beginning of the ending mm. of the relationship, like into the mm -hmm. curriculum. So that's my mis charitable misreading of, of that situation. So thank you for clarifying yeah. that. Absolutely. Not fully though, mm. because I do, I hold individual cord cutting ceremonies mm. too. Okay. Um, and sometimes people who have come to those actually turn into clients. Okay. So it can happen mm. in sort of both ways because okay. it sort of brings awareness to more things that you need to okay. like identify. Yeah. But in terms of the actual coaching container, the, the structure is that it happens towards the end. Got it. Mm -hmm. Okay, well now we have to do the whole episode over again. So <laughs> we'll, just, we'll just start it for minute one and we'll, go, we'll do the whole thing again. Uh, uh, so that's brilliant. So at, at what point in the process are we actually like moving? I'm, I'm, to me, it sounds like it's gonna come up sometime on the spectrum where we mm -hmm. actually exit the relationship. Like where does mm -hmm. that actually take place? in your yeah. curriculum or is it just uh, when the inspiration obtains or when the individual finally feels ready within that mm -hmm. process uh, mm -hmm. but it feels like it's going to happen before cord cutting it's the full mm -hmm. curriculum right yeah everybody everybody's on their own track so mm -hmm. some people i start working with when they're already exited and mm -hmm. either can't stop going back or they're like that was what was that that was a narcissistic situation mm -hmm. i don't know how to move forward so some people have already made the decision that they that was crazy and mm -hmm. they need to heal. Mm -hmm. But other people are either still in the process of going back and just need more data. Mm -hmm. So I do a lot of data collection. We do okay. a, a lot of journaling, a lot of bringing you back into reality, again, of like, what's happening now? How are they showing up right now? Mm -hmm. How does that compare to your values and are they meeting your needs? And once, once you start identifying what these things are, you start setting bar mm -hmm. for yourself so that you can finally like like weigh someone against that mm -hmm. because if you don't know what you need mm -hmm. or who you are you'll take whatever's given to you mm -hmm. so to be able to have a backboard of like oh wait I really value health and fitness and they sit on the couch all weekend like well is that working for you you know and just mm -hmm. being able being able to look at it pretty objectively yeah. mm -hmm. um, and and having those sort of like seeds, right? Mm -hmm. Planted mm -hmm. where they come to the conclusion on their own of how it's not working instead of me coming in and being like, all right, week five, he's out, that's you it, know? Right. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's Everybody not. Everybody coming in sweaty palms week five have to yeah. do the thing, right? Yeah. <laughs> and really like the first, very first week we take an inventory mm -hmm. and that's really focused on the partner and the, the dynamic. Mm -hmm. But after week one, we're really we're really focusing on them and what they're feeling and what they're mm -hmm. experiencing. So they can choose to stay or leave at any point during right. that, that process. Right. Mm. And I, I, that, that sounds critically important too, because I went, mm -hmm. I did my, you know, trauma five day intensive once upon a time a couple years ago, and I got into 
like day two of it, you know, we're just <laughs> doing like, you know, reading letters or something like this. And uh, there were five people in the group, uh, two men, three women. And like on day two, the three women were like, you know what, I think we're done with our relationships. I think that's the, pri you know, there's, it was such a, <laughs> such a sprint to that. Yeah. It's like the silver bullet, pull mm -hmm. the lever, finish line. And yeah. so I think there's a maturity within the curriculum in yeah. that regard and an actual honoring of the person who's absent within it because they might not mm -hmm. be in the, you know, dire position of, you know, the full-blown mm -hmm. narcissist in that regard. Right. And there might be room for behavioral change and room for reconnecting in that regard. And so having that exploratory sort of period mm -hmm. makes a great deal of sense because it would be easy to be like, you know, fire alarm with no understanding, just pull the lever and yep. undo it. But, you know, uh, that would feels kind of short-sighted within a curriculum sort of side of things. Yeah, uh, I, I definitely work with clients who are with narcissists or have been with mm -hmm. narcissists. But I also work with clients who are just in dysfunction. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I, I try to steer away from like one person's the villain and one person's, mm -hmm. you know, like, the one being taken advantage of. Because in my definition of a dysfunctional relationship, it takes two people to create a dysfunctional relationship. Right. Because if you have dysfunction and your partner doesn't, your partner's not gonna hang around. Right. You know, both people are in dysfunction, that's mm -hmm. why you're dancing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. yeah. So like you can take responsibility for what's yours, and then as you take responsibility for what's yours, paying attention to are they taking responsibility for what's theirs, and if they are, and there's room to to work on communication or rebuild trust or whatever, awesome. Mm -hmm. I'm not in the business of like trying to like break up people just to break up people. Right. <laughs> like, yeah, totally. Yeah. If it's abusive and it's like, you know, clearly mm -hmm. an unsafe situation, right. there are more real conversations that yeah. happen, but not all of my clients are leaving their partners mm -hmm. or yet or already or whatever. They're mm -hmm. all in different sort of phases of, of it. But my job as the coach is to help them get clarity on their side of the street. Mm -hmm. what, is, what is theirs? Who are they? What are they bringing to the relationship? And controlling what they can control mm -hmm. and giving responsibility to their partner for what they're responsible for. Mm -hmm. So they're not responsible for their emotions and their reactions and their life anymore. Yeah. You know, and really choosing to step out of that rescuer role and disrupt the, the system and see mm -hmm. what happens. Like, does that other person rise in mm -hmm. their healing or do they discard you to find another person that will fill that role? Yeah, right. mm -hmm. yeah absolutely. Mm -hmm. Powerful stuff. Mm -hmm. I, we're coming up on time here um, and I wanna be sensitive to that and just so grateful for this conversation and I know it can continue in a variety of different ways. Mm -hmm. um, but I'm, I'm bringing on uh, the, the Colorado uh, natural medicine folks uh, next week who are pushing forward the legislation that would bring plant-based medicine into uh, organization like Peaks Recovery Centers, certainly into practices like yours um, down the road in 2026 in that regard. And um, so before I dive into that, I just want to check the box, you know, with you, Bree, to see if there's anything mm -hmm. else, you know, you're, that I might be missing or that you would like to add to this discussion, maybe that we've kind of glossed over to this point or... I think we've covered a lot of, a lot of good territory. Yeah, yeah. A lot of good stuff. Awesome. <laughs> yeah. Well, um, uh, so plant-based medicine, uh, across your platforms and podcasts and things that you've done, you've been so vulnerable about it mm -hmm. in your own experiences of working with plant-based medicine. Mm -hmm. And for me and us at Peaks Recovery Centers, um, 
You know, when we, we've talked about it on the show, we've talked about it with our psychiatrists, our doctors, and so forth. You know, SSRIs work 30% of the time around major depressive disorders. Like, there's a great deal of limitations in what we've been able to bring forward as an industry. And so plant-based medicine um, is bringing forward just a world of potential uh, in that regard. And so, um, you know, before, you know, next week's episode, I hope you could share in some of that vulnerability around your experiences as well, too. But maybe introduce the topic to our viewers in a way around that, those components of intentionality that we talked about prior to the episode and sort of, you know, the value propositions through your personal experiences and then what you've seen in sort of those communal settings uh, in your travels and the power mm -hmm. that, you know, comes with it when we're not looking at it as something to abuse, but something to gain insights within mm -hmm. and yep. what comes from, you know, those experiences. Yeah. Oh, gosh. Yeah. Set and setting is so important. <laughs> so, so important. I was never a recreational psychedelic user, so I don't have the experience of of using it mm -hmm. on that purpose. Yeah. Um, but being in circles with people who either are in recovery or had used it and had really bad trips before, when you are held in a circle with a facilitator, and, and it's sacred, it, this is sacred medicine oftentimes that we're working with, and it's treated with respect, and there's a structure and you feel safe, mm -hmm. you can surrender in that. So mm -hmm. when we're held, we can actually lean in. When we don't have any boundaries, when we don't have anybody to hold us, then that's when we need to get protective and our defenses mm -hmm. come in and we start having these bad experiences. Mm -hmm. So doing it in a way that's sacred and honoring and that you're coming in with something that you want to work with or an intention that you have is so, so important. Mm -hmm. It's important and you might have an intention and be shown something completely different. Yeah, so, that's true. So the bigger intention is really to surrender to the process of the medicine because mm -hmm. it's when we start to fight what's happening that mm -hmm. it gets harder. and. I don't like to use the verbiage of like a bad experience and a good experience because if you have a lighter, more fun, more visual experience, you could be learning just as much as if you are diving into your trauma and you're seeing darkness and it's a heavier experience. Mm -hmm. So kind of being open and being, being willing to face whatever will be presented and not try to control it. Hmm the number one fear that I hear from people who want to come on retreat or, or do these circles is like, I don't like being out of control. Mm -hmm. I'm like, that's probably mm -hmm. what you're going to work on then. Because yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. you, ha you have to surrender. Mm -hmm. um, but if you're in a space with someone you trust, the medicine is pure. You know, so many, ayahuasca specifically has, has blown up in the, in the news. And so mm -hmm. going down to... Peru or to other places where it's commercialized now and there are some really reputable treatment centers and there are some who are doing it to make a lot of money mm -hmm. and they're not doing it from a place of reverence for the medicine. Mm -hmm. So just being really careful of mm -hmm. who you're sitting with. Um, and as far as the medicine itself, I think there's, there's place for all parts of healing. There's mm -hmm. place for the processing and more of the analytical understanding mm -hmm. of what's happening. There's plates for the trauma work that you do with a therapist. Mm -hmm. There's also a place for spirituality and there's a place for plant medicine in a way that it helps you lower your defenses so that you can actually access these, these pain points, these wounds. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So when we're in, when we're in our, our 
conscious mind. Our ego is often playing like the bouncer. Mm -hmm. So when we take a substance like ayahuasca or psilocybin or MDMA or ketamine or whatever it is, it helps to, it helps to remove the bouncer mm -hmm. so that we can actually get in there to the places of our mind that often feel too scary to touch. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And what we find, not obviously not everyone's experience is the yeah. same, but the, the part, even if it's scary and dark, in the in the um, initial like introduction of that if you lean into it it changes and it transforms into something beautiful mm -hmm. and so it's such an analogy for life right of like not running away from our pain but actually opening up the light into yeah. it mm -hmm. and that's how we heal it as we look at it mm -hmm. and we integrate it if we keep running it when we keep stuffing like it's just gonna come out some other ways mm -hmm. it's not it doesn't go anywhere yeah yeah. Mm -hmm. I love it. I love it too. I think that, you know, it's, it's a challenging, I, it feels internally like a challenging conversation. At the same time, it doesn't feel like it should be challenging yeah. mm -hmm. um, in that regard. And in being so close to substance use disorder, I can, I, I think this is an important discussion because we really want to soften the hearts and the minds of individuals who see it, mm -hmm. you know, abused in this sort of pervasive, you know, sort of way. You know, one of the right. things, you know, Marijuana, of course, can come up as a plant, you know, based medicine discussion, mm -hmm. but, you know, what we find in a place like Finding Peaks is it's used maladaptively. It's mm -hmm. not a ceremonial sort of experience where, you know, on a Saturday I was being challenged and I wanted to gain insights into why I'm feeling depressed today or something. Yeah. Commonly, at least in Peaks, right, they're using it to numb the aspects of that sort of feature, mm -hmm. right? And it's so it's a constant commitment that forms addictive behavior around it mm -hmm. that we can never really get away from, and we lose focus of that intentionality. And so, mm -hmm. you know, for the viewers out there to hear these experiences in a different sort of way that will that are time limited experiences, well, too, you yeah. know, in some instances, certainly, I think, you know, when you get into psilocybin and so forth, you're going to get into these microdosing concepts that can mm -hmm. go on for months and that mm -hmm. sort of thing. But without the hallucinogenic, you know, uh, consequences that, you know, might come from macrodosing over a significant yeah. period of time in that regard. And one of the things that, you know, commonly, at least in the men's program, they're like, Brandon, I can do this on weed. And I'm like, do what? You know, walk, <laughs> like, walk me through that. And yeah. in that regard, we're not trying to do anything on psilocybin or MDMA yeah. or these sort of things. We're trying to get into and behind the defense mechanisms mm -hmm. that talk therapy can take a great deal of time to, you know, punch through in that regard. And so these medicines, you know, coming down the pipelines, hopefully here in the state of Colorado, uh, in that regard, can provide this opportunity to go from a, you know, a state of what would be otherwise, you know, 90 days of resistance through a talk therapy episode into mm -hmm. yep. um, uh, a moment of healing and opportunity that even on the other side of the, you know, uh, using the plant-based medicine, just an opportunity for therapists to be sitting there and like, hey, let's keep working this now that we're tender mm -hmm. and raw and mm -hmm. feeling these experiences. And certainly yeah. that's going to require a great deal of training for, you know, uh, practitioners and, you know, all around the country in that regard. But um, it's very powerful. It's coming down the chutes here. It's coming down the pipelines. And we're very excited about it at Peaks Recovery Centers because it offers something new uh, in a way where, you know, we've talked about it as well too. Joanna Conti, Vista Research, Conquer Addiction, that, you know, outcomes for the last 33 years in substance use disorder uh, have remained at 33% or below uh, in general, and we can do so much better. And now we have these tools, you know, yeah. coming to us in which we can, in doing it the right way, creating intentionality, creating the spaces for it, non-sterile environments, really taking seriously uh, the spirituality and all the components that come along with it. We might yeah. be able to, I know, 
really move this thing forward in a really yeah. big, powerful way, especially with opioid use disorder deaths. I mean, yeah. 107,000 last year. I mean, people are losing their life to substances all around us. And the stories that I'm hearing, not just from substances, but you know, process addictions and so forth that are coming out of this and the healing that comes uh, is just so powerful. So it just gives me a great deal of hope. And I just appreciate you yeah. so much for at least these small minutes, you know, being able to yeah. share in that experience. Um, to soften a little bit of the hearts and the minds of our industry and you know the folks on the other side of the camera. Yeah, there's also a, an interesting thing that can happen with plant medicine where it, it's, you know, when we're doing trauma work, often we have to like um, relive it, right? We have to consciously bring it up and work through it. And, and sometimes with plant medicine, you also get the somatic release because we know that the mm -hmm. body keeps the score, right? There's right. all of this, mm -hmm. this new wave of therapy practices, the embodiment practices, the somatic um, focus of how much we store in our tissues. And for me personally, bef well before I ever got visuals on any type of plant medicine, it, mine was completely somatic. So mm. my body would just move and it would tremor and it would release and I would cry and it was like, it was doing it. Mm -hmm. I didn't know what it was doing, <laughs> but it was doing something. Yeah. So even on that like very physiological level, it's like letting the medicine go in mm -hmm. and work for you, mm -hmm. work with you, mm -hmm. and moving to the point of if you, you know, find, get the visuals and see the experience or whatever your whatever it is, even if you have a non-experience. We've had people in the retreats that I help uh, co-facilitate who will take a, a dose and sometimes seconds of, of the ayahuasca and they're like, I didn't feel anything. I fell asleep, like, you know? And, and part of that is just trusting mm -hmm. that your experience is exactly what you're supposed to get. Right. And if you needed to fall asleep so that your body could heal from the level of nervous, like um, how wound up your nervous system is, perfect, you know? Yeah. Um, but allowing the medicine to, to really be your ally in, mm. in yeah. your healing. Yeah. And the power and the speed of it as well, yeah. too. You know, even if medications are going to work for major depressive disorder, uh, severe anxiety, and those sort of things, in many cases, it takes four mm -hmm. to six weeks to experience that neuroptake to even feel the positive relief, mm -hmm. you know, yeah. that will follow from it. And now we're talking about, you know, hours mm -hmm. <laughs> to experience, mm -hmm. you know, that sort of, you know, physiological relief and certainly the mental relief yeah. um, that's happening that, you know, simultaneously or, you know, yeah. in conjunction with it, so. Yeah, we've had people who have been on depression or anxiety meds for years or most of their life mm -hmm. decide to titrate off before their, their retreat, their um, ayahuasca experience. And, you know, that's a scary choice, right? If you've, yeah. have, you've had this crutch yeah. with you most of your life, you're giving a great deal of trust mm -hmm. to how you're gonna feel leading up to the retreat, what the retreat's gonna be. Um, and then many of them don't go back on their medications. So that, that shows you in very like concrete evidence yeah. how these medicines are helping to open new neural pathways, expand the brain, offer insights, and really change things that otherwise had only been, you know, having a Band-Aid sort of put on top. Mm -hmm. So like to your point about 30% success rate in the addiction field, that's that's like almost non-existent. Yeah. That's so low. Yeah. <laughs> so if we have another solution, why, why is it so condemned in these spaces? Mm -hmm. And why is it so, um, you know, the perception is that people in recovery shouldn't be doing plant medicine because mm -hmm. it's mind altering. Yeah. 
But if your intention is to lean in and not to run away, mm -hmm. because we use drugs and alcohol to run away, mm -hmm. if your intention is to lean in, like that's a healing process. That's a healing modality. Yeah, yeah absolutely. That's I, so cool. You know, the, you know, my basic insights into it kind of at the 12th hour here is that, you know, when we think we've, we've, we've worked so hard on these episodes, we, I think addiction was an important word that we use today, but you know, at Peaks, mm -hmm. we've tried so hard to move away from it towards substance use disorder, you know, uh, major depressive disorders, because to us, they're mm -hmm. all mental health disorders at the end of the day. Mm -hmm. And it's no longer making sense to us from an integrated care model that, you know, mental health has to go that way and addiction has to go this way and so forth, because the terminology itself seems to inform this character trait, mm -hmm. right, that we can't get away from. And I think that is one of the harmful principles of it over time that has mm -hmm. led to the, you know, the where it's having us ignoring facts like neuroplasticity mm -hmm. or somatic events that the body actually really can heal and the mind can heal mm -hmm. from these very extraordinary disruptions uh, that we're experiencing. And so, uh, you know, to me, this is just another way of opening up that, that our bodies have this capacity and our minds have this capacity. And what we're hearing and seeing on the other side isn't like, um, you know, as I shared with you about uh, a woman who shared her Ibogaine story with me prior to this episode, she didn't go do Ibogaine and then just like casually use heroin on yeah. the other side <laughs> of it. It was a complete yeah. discontinuation mm -hmm. of it yeah. on the other side. And it, you know, and it's not folks who go into these things with major depressive disorders and, you know, experience them on the other side. There's real healing that's following from mm -hmm. this in a complete removal of the symptomology. And so through plant-based medicines, we're just, we're you know, what takes five years to do in the general framework of abstinence yeah. is seemingly being done within, you know, hours and a couple of weeks. And certainly follow-up mm -hmm. care and case management is going to be important in all of this at the end of the day. But yeah. Yeah. it feels like the evidence is there and it's surfacing in a really valuable way. And I just cannot wait to see what it brings to our industry and the healing that it will bring to not only our patients at peaks, yeah. but for the individuals mm -hmm. that you're coaching along, you know, these journeys to gain these insights. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we have to feel safe enough to integrate trauma because mm -hmm. trauma gets stuck yeah. in us when we are in fight or flight, when we're in that, mm -hmm. that response. Mm -hmm. And so if you, if your nervous system has never felt safe enough to be able to allow you to access the things that need to be integrated, you won't. Mm -hmm. So if you're finding safety through plant medicine, if you're finding it through, you know, doing other types of ceremonies or your therapist, or your coach that you really resonate with, that you can let your defenses down, mm -hmm. like that's, that's what matters. That's yeah. how we, that's how we, that's how we heal. Mm -hmm. Beautiful. Yeah. Well, uh, there's so much to talk <laughs> about. Here. We're just, we're just going to have to invite you back. I think in a future episode, just to talk more about this stuff yeah. or maybe even coming on with you know uh, colorado natural medicine in that regard if, if you have the time that would be awesome but mm -hmm. um the finding peaks crew in the background is going to kill me for going over time here so <laughs> i want to i want to wrap this up and take the viewers out but at the same time i know we said act natural just be cool we got cameras and lights all around here but it, you know if you could look into the camera and kind of just you know tell uh the viewers and share with them what lucid living's you know doing how to find mm -hmm. you how to explore your resources all of those types of things yep. um you know take us out in that sort of way. Sure. Okay. Camera. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I do a lot of my marketing on Instagram. I love to share information and resources and knowledge through there. So on Instagram, I'm lucid living with free. I also have a website with free resources um, and you can access the links to my coaching and, and to um, apply for that. But like first and foremost, if you are feeling any sort of confusion around a relationship, 
what I do is help clients find clarity. So confusion on what healthy, what a relationship that's healthy looks like or doesn't look like, um, confused why you can't stop going back to the same type of people, or confused on how to move forward from something that was really painful. Wonderful. Yeah. Awesome. Thank you so much for being here today. Thank you. This Thanks was awesome. Thanks for having me. It was I'm good so to have you on as yeah. well, too. Happy it here. was meant to hey, be here. And hopefully a friendship <laughs> has formed here, as we thought uh, maybe was happening. I'm going to be her friends and go on her retreat. Yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> Wonderful. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, uh, viewers out there, for joining us for this special episode of Finding Peaks. Uh, we hope you learned a great deal about this. We're taking notes diligently in the background. Locate these resources. Um, nurture yourself. Uh, your loved ones in that regard um, and uh, finding peaks at peaksrecovery.com more insights questions thoughts ideas that's how we get the ideas to produce these episodes at the end of the day find us on all the things facebook twitters instagrams the TikTok. chris burns pounding his chest mental health awareness heart day all those things he does each and every morning uh, as well too and until next time we'll see you then